You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. <laughs> Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I talked to the Draft Network's Jordan Reed about Washington's draft class. I had him on before the draft to talk about what some of the players going in the draft what he thought Washington should do. So now I wanted to bring him back to have give him a chance to do a little bit of a rundown on most of this draft class, an in-depth look at the 2021 picks, plus some discussion about how Washington is building its team and a quick peek into the future for the 2022 quarterback class. You can follow Jordan on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed, R-E-I-D, not like the tight end. You can read his work at the Draft Network and check out his podcast. And I love the name of it, The Read Option. You can read my work, of course, on ESPN.com. We had an NFC East roundtable discussion on the site this weekend. You might be surprised by who three of the four writers picked as the team to beat as of now. Don't forget to check out the Daily Fantasy League site, monkeyknifefight.com, and use promo code JKR for a free $5 game. Lots of fun prop bets. Before I play my conversation with Jordan, here are a couple of things to know. Washington will have its rookie minicamp next weekend. That means 10, 10 draft picks plus undrafted running back Jared Patterson, plus a few assorted others and some tryout guys. As of now, the media will be allowed to attend on Friday and Saturday so we'll be able to give you a quick look at the rookies. One of those rookies I'm curious to see, not just here, but in the future, and see how they use him is Shaka Tony, a guy they are quite excited about drafting in the seventh round. I know he was an end at Penn State, but he's too light to play that full-time in Washington's 43 front at around 255 pounds. He dropped about 20 pounds, or not didn't drop, he lost about 20 pounds this offseason because of COVID, but my, and I think that's partly why he may have fallen a little bit, but my understanding is that he's almost back to his playing weight. Now, as far as how he'll be used, I know people close to him told me that their understanding is that he'll be an off-the-ball linebacker plus a situational pass rusher at end. Tony is athletic enough to handle this role, which is what they had hoped Ryan Anderson could fill a year ago. Remember, when they first started talking about Anderson and his role, they would refer to him as using him in a hybrid role only to pretty much just use him as a defensive end. We'll see what happens with Tony, but I know that's what people close to him are expecting, and I'll know more what Washington is expecting as far as more detailed role this week. Also, Washington is hosting two players Monday who were cut last week, Miami defensive end Bobby McCain and Chicago left tackle Charles Leno Jr. Of course, if you're listening to this podcast on Tuesday, their fate's probably already known, whether it's here or elsewhere. If it's elsewhere, skip to the Jordan Reed section. If not, this stuff will probably help out a little bit. McCain played both slot corner and safety at Miami. The problem at safety is that he's considered small. And while tough, he wasn't a great tackler, and there were some durability concerns. But he'd certainly provide versatility by being able to handle both, if needed, in various packages. 
I don't know. My understanding is that Brian Flores liked him, but at $7 million, he wasn't considered worth the money. I'm not sure yet how Washington sees him, whether as a corner, whether as a guy who can provide safety depth or start, I don't know. Um, but I, I do like, um, and I should know by the next podcast, if they end up signing him, I'll, I'll definitely know how they view him in that way. I do like that Ron Rivera's intent on bringing in more vets to provide even more competition. This is a still a fairly young roster, so there wasn't a big need to add a lot of undrafted free agents and more young guys. And one of the problems, I think I've told you this, but I don't remember if, if I didn't, I'm going to tell you again. One of the things with the undrafted, um, there weren't as many of them out there because it's a smaller pool this year. So the money, the guaranteed money being thrown at them was just more than it ever had been. That's why Washington traded back into the seventh round to get two more picks instead of going after some more undrafted. They opted just to draft these guys. And it's just, it's amazing. But some of these undrafteds would rather go undrafted because you can pick your team and some of the top ones are going to get more money. Um, so that was part of it. But anyways, while some of them have made it in the past, it's often indicative of a not so great roster. Always good to have those guys, though, on the practice squad worth developing who did come in as undrafted. But this is a team that could use more depth now that can help right now. And a guy like McCain would fit that description. I've heard from a few that he's a strong leader as well. As for Leno, sounds like serviceable tackle with experience having started 93 consecutive games. Not bad, not great as far as his overall ability. I know some fans in Chicago will say one thing. You talk to some media people there, they'll say another. So I, they said serviceable. More competition in depth, though. That's what this means if they sign him. Um, would he be the starter if they sign? I'm guessing Rivera will say it's a competition. Nothing's been decided. But I do know people close to Leno who feel he'd be coming here to start. And I think that's why if he signs here, I think he'd see that would be giving him that opportunity to do so. I don't know for sure yet. So don't take that as a factual thing. Just I know what the expectations from one side, one side are. Um, and again, I will find out more from Washington's side uh, probably very early this week if he indeed signs here. Signs here. I do know they just drafted Sam Cosme as a left tackle, and by all accounts, he might be someone who takes a minute to develop as a left tackle. But Cosme can also play guard or right tackle if needed. They keep adding pieces of this line, though, folks. And Rivera said he wanted to strengthen it, and there's more depth by doing all these moves or potential moves. It's more depth if nothing else with the addition addition of Cosme and Eric Flowers, and now possibly Leno. There would be a glut at tackle, too, with Jaron Christian, Cornelius Lucas, David Sharp, David Steinmetz. I, I now I do think that some, some of these guys are going to start to see the writing on the wall. But we'll see. Still, have, They have to sign the guys, so we'll see what happens with that. Anyway, that's it from me. After this break, I'll be back with the Draft Network's Jordan Reed talking about Washington's 2021 draft class. Which pick caught his eye the most? Hey everyone, I want to tell you about a fun new offer from Monkey Knife Fight that can enhance any sports experience, whether you're at a game, on your couch, or in a bar. It's a daily fantasy sports league that is easy to play. You can sign up on monkeyknifefight.com using promo code JKR and play games such as More or Less. Will an NBA player score more or less than a listed point total? You can do the same in baseball. Will a pitcher have more or less strikeouts than a given amount, etc.? It's fun, and every Friday it's Home Run Derby, and on three guys who had home runs that night. All three hit one, you share in the prize pool. Every week you can participate in their Eagle Eye jackpot based on the PGA Tour. Choose from any sport, from NASCAR to UFC 
and League of Legends. And of course, once football rolls back around, there will be even more fun prop bets. This is daily sports betting designed for the average fan to use their knowledge and have some fun. Sign up now at monkeyknifefight.com and use promo code JKR. That's promo code JKR. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Jordan Reed. All right, Jordan, draft is over. Now we start the analysis of the draft. And I'm curious in general what you thought of Washington's draft class. Well, it was one of my favorites, honestly. I thought it was very efficient, especially early on. We knew that they had a need at linebacker and then also offensive tackle. And I think they addressed those right away. And Jamin Davis, a player that I think uh, was very easy to pick to the Washington football team just because of the need that they had at Mike linebacker. And then also Samuel Cosme, who some people actually had in the first round of a lot of mock drafts. So for them to get those two guys very early on, I thought was fantastic. And then they go out and they add another addition to the wide receiver corps as well in De'Ami Brown. They needed that field stretcher. Uh, I thought he was a really good selection for them, especially those first three picks. I thought they hit a home run. What with, with Davis, and I think I talked to you about this before the draft, about there are some people who question whether he could transition to Mike in the NFL. You seem to be very high on him in that area. What do you see that says he's going to be good there? Well, he played predominantly Mike uh, when he was at Kentucky, and I know he had a very highly decorated senior player in front of him. That really explains the one year of production with him. So that doesn't really scare me as much just because he wasn't presented a whole bunch of opportunities at Mike. But I really thought he flourished during his one year there last year. He has all of the qualities that you look for at somebody at the position, very loose mover, uh, very athletic, very instinctive, and then a physical player as well as far as a run defender. So um, in pass coverage, I thought he was outstanding last year. You can go and watch him against Florida. I thought that was one game where he was just absolutely terrific. NC State in the bowl game was another where he was very good as well. And then I think he went to an ideal situation just because something that he does struggle with a little bit as far as detaching from blockers. Um, that's something that he is a little bit raw with right now. But you have those big guys up front and Chase Young and Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen. So he's not going to have to worry about that so much. So he's really like that final piece as far as an addition in that front seven. I think he's going to be terrific. And how, how important is it to have a guy with that kind of range as well as we get into a, a different era of football with more, not just running quarterbacks, but the RPO game as well? It's huge just because I think you went through a lot of eras with Mike linebackers of where you had those two down, big run plugging, stuffing the type of uh, second level defenders. Now you have to be able to play on third down just because offenses are really good. They're doing a good job of isolating those running backs out of the backfield on those linebackers on the second level. So you have to have a guy that can keep up with those short and shiftier running backs like Alvin Kamara, uh, things of that nature uh, out of the backfield. With Cosme, is he a left tackle in your eyes? Yeah, I think so. Uh, he is a little bit raw. I will say that about him. And you'll see this a lot next year with him. It's probably going to be a bit of a roller coaster ride just because he is so raw. There's going to be some plays of like, man, what in the world are you doing? There's going to be some plays of like, man, this dude looks like a long-term piece at left tackle. So uh, the Oklahoma game was one that was very evident of that, of where he displays proper technique. And then there's some plays of where he's just trying to get by as far as his natural athletic ability. So there's going to be some fine-tuning that needs to be done with him. Uh, but there's going to be a bit of a trial and error period that I like to say with him. But uh, as far as his athleticism, I think that's going to help him out initially while his development does come along. What is it that jumps out to say, you know, because obviously athleticism is a big key at that position. What else do you see in him that says he will be good there eventually? 
just his awareness and then also his strength levels. Um, I think that was an underrated factor about him. He does have a little bit of a lean frame, but he plays much stronger than it does indicate. It kind of reminds me of Brian O'Neill coming out of pit a couple of years ago where he needs to add a little bit more weight, but he plays much stronger than what his frame does indicate. And I know O'Neill plays right tackle for the Vikings, but uh, Cosme is more of a natural left tackle. That's really all he played when he was at Texas. So there's going to be probably a one to two year period of where it's going to take some fine tuning with this technique, but there's going to be a lot of the high and low moments with him early on. One of the picks I'm most intrigued by is Deami Brown. And just because of speed he can add here, what's your take on him? Loved him coming out. He actually was in my top 50 of my final big board. And mm. as far as a roof stretcher, that's something that he definitely brings to the forefront. And I think they've done a really good job of adding some more talent to this wide receiver course. We know that Terry McLaurin is absolutely incredible. Curtis Samuel is going to be a welcomed addition. But now Deami Brown brings that over the top factor as far as, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick likes to take a lot of deep shots down the field. So I think Deami Brown is going to be a welcome addition. He averaged 20 yards per catch last year. So that just goes to show you that he can be that down the field uh, roof stretcher that this team was lacking last year. I also, what I like, and tell me how important this is, but they now have versatility with their speed for, and I say that because Curtis Samuel, McLaurin and Brown all are fast, but they all can hurt a defense in different ways. How important is it to have, you know, you have the field stretcher, you have the, a guy who can work underneath and out of the backfield and Curtis Samuel, and then you have McLaurin, who's just a really good route runner using that speed. How important is it to have that kind of maybe versatility with the speed? It's very important, John, just because now you have three top guys of where you can play them inside and also outside as well. And even Samuel, you could put him in the backfield a little bit. That's something that he did in Carolina. And then also when he was coming out of Ohio State, as well, just because it messes with personnel groupings. And what I mean by that is defensive personnel, they try to match up as far as whether they're in nickel or dime or getting the, the adequate amount of defensive backs on the field, trying to match up with these guys. But you don't really know where they're going to line up. So you can really play around with defensive personnel groupings with all three of those guys on the field. Um, your thoughts on Benjamin St. Just? I like him a lot. Uh, he is a little bit raw. Um, I think he goes into an ideal situation of where he can go and probably be that number three corner initially, just because he has some things that he needs to clean up as far as his technique on when he's exiting phase and turn around and find the football in the air. But as far as the length that he brings to the position and then the awareness that he has as far as finding the football and things of that nature as well, I think he's going to be a very welcomed addition early on. And they, they're going to keep him at corner for now. And, you know, can could he develop if, – if he doesn't work out at corner, could you see him as a safety? Or did you say, hey, leave him at corner a couple of years, he'll be fine? I think he'll be fine at corner, and I think they're fine at safety right now. Cam Curl was a great find for them last year late in the draft, and then Landon Collins. We'll see if he can unlock some of the next uh, stages of his development now uh, as he becomes a seasoned veteran. So I don't really think there's a spot for him as far as a safety, but I think his clearest pathway to early playing time is probably at corner, and I think he's fine at corner. Yeah, and I, that's where he's going to be. And the other part of it is, too, and I mentioned this on my last podcast for people listening, but – you need to have a big corner because you will face other big receivers and they have too many small corners. So having that big guy gives them the ability to match up with other big receivers with William Jackson at free safety, though, you brought up cam curl when you were scouting him last year. Do you think that he can play a free safety role in this defense? Well, I'm all about just playing where players have had success at. And I think he can play free safety, but we've seen him 
really have a lot of success at strong safety Correct. last year for the most part. So I'm fine with just keeping him in that spot. And I know this is going to be year two for him. So maybe they want to get a little bit more experimental with him. Now this is going to be a second year in the scheme as well. So maybe they're trying to expand on his abilities a little bit more. And I'm fine with that, but put players where they're going to thrive at the most. And I think he needs to take most of his snaps at strong safety. And he was really good there. And the, the only reason I think that it even comes up is because you have Landon Collins coming back and I can see Landon as their big nickel and Cam as a free, as a strong safety and somebody else at free. But, you know, until we see what happens on the field, we don't know. Um, of those remaining picks, like, is there some guy, is there anybody that of their last couple of picks, um, you know, is there somebody that jumped out to you? Um, I'll be lying if I said, uh, if I watched any snaps with Cameron Cheeseman, the long snap. <laughs> so he's one that I'm sure a lot of people are excited about. But those first three are really, really exciting for me, John. And, you know, I thought they had a home run with Jamin Davis in the first round. I thought he was absolutely terrific of a selection. Uh, De'Ami Brown, we've talked about plenty in depth. And then Sam Cosby, they had a huge question mark at left tackle, just because I don't know what they think of Sadiq Charles right now. Uh, I probably I think he's probably going to be a guard long yes, term guard. if I had to guess right now. Yep. So they're probably going to kick him inside. But he's had some red flags coming out and then some injury questions as well. So I don't think he's one of those guys you can really count on to consistently be your left tackle. So uh, maybe he does show some flashes uh, here in the second year. So I really like those first three selections, though. I would, you know, between John Bates, Shaka Tony, Derek yeah. Forrest, do you, any of those guys jump out to you? Uh, Shaka Tony does definitely just because I think this is a defense where there's not a lot of spots as far as opened up in the front seven. So they're probably going to use him more as a DPR, a designated pass rusher. Correct. They can bring him in on third down and they can get some of those interior guys off the field and maybe slide Chase Young inside or Montez Sweat inside to create some advantageous matchups for them, but also bring some more uh, speed in the sense off of the edge and Shaka Tony. And I think he's a guy that they're really intrigued by. I think I think they felt like he would not be there later in the draft. So I think they felt they feel pretty good about him. Can Bates develop into, is he more of a blocker? Do you think he could develop into a pass catching tight end? Well, he doesn't have to play a whole bunch of snaps early on. That's the great thing about him. They're probably going to use him more as a blocker, which is what he specialized in at Boise State. He can't catch the football. He can't catch the football uh, in various different areas of the field as well. So I think he's a really good compliment to Logan Thomas. I know he was a really good surprise for them last year coming over from quarterback. So he's not going to be asked to be much of a receiver next year, in my opinion. So he can settle into that second tight end role pr primarily as a blocker early on though. Um, Derek, any thoughts on Forrest? Uh, he's probably more of a strong safety. You know, he's probably going to have to earn some snaps on special teams before uh, he sees some snaps at strong safety, just because, I mean, we both know, John, there's just not a lot of open spots on this defense for a young right. player to come in immediately. So if he's able to show that he can gain some respect on special teams, maybe he can be that depth piece that comes in on third down or some situations like that later on. And I, I think it's, I mean, what they're doing now, and especially this offseason, trying to build depth, and that's always a good thing. The one spot that wasn't taken was quarterback. And for people listening, I wrote about this on ESPN as to why, and I always felt like they were looking for one. I knew they were looking for one, that they wouldn't force one. Were you surprised that they didn't take one of these guys? Would you have, you know, would you, if you were them, would you have taken a Mills or a Trask over a Cosme? Because that's essentially what they decided. Well, I knew once they re-signed Taylor Heineke, I know they kind of felt good about their quarterback situation. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is somebody that can really keep the ship afloat, in my honest opinion, just because he has so many different weapons. Uh, he has some adequate protection up front. But with this defense, all you have to do is just keep the ship afloat. Like I said, just don't mess it up, in a sense. And we know with Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's going to get you at least six wins. That's something that he's been accustomed to throughout his career. And we know with Washington, the team that won the division, 
last year. I think this is a team that is really set up to once again repeat in this division, which is something we haven't seen in a very long time in the NFC East. So uh, I just think they felt comfortable uh, with Kyle Allen, I think, as the third quarterback as well, and then Heineke as the backup and Fitzpatrick as their main guy. So there really isn't a spot for a young quarterback to come in, even at that quarterback three spot. And I think what that really did, Jordan, is it gave him the ability to say, if we don't love this guy here, we don't have to take this guy. And that's really, well, that's what all those guys did. And you heard that all offseason was, again, yeah, we want to find our quarterback the future, but we don't have to be desperate to find one. And I, and I like that philosophy because you end up with, you should end up in theory with better players because you're picking guys that you really want versus guys you feel like you have to take. But looking ahead, because, you know, if things go well, first of all, if things go well, they can keep Fitzpatrick. They can re-sign him. If they don't and nobody emerges, the 2022 class, how, when you, right now, how are you looking at that class? So the things that I have heard have not been good as far as from scouting buddies and then early assessments. Uh, I do my summer scouting in June, so I haven't watched any snaps of those 2022 guys. That's something I usually take a month off in May uh, from scouting after the draft, and then I'll start on my 2022 guys. So uh, Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma, it's some people, uh, it's quarterback one right now. Also Sam Howell from North Carolina. Those are the presumptive top two guys right now. And then Malik Willis from Liberty. Is right. getting a lot of love here lately as well. So I'm excited to dig into all those guys this summer. Yeah, Malik is a guy that it kind of intrigues me. I think JT Daniels from Georgia will be interesting interesting to see yeah. how he develops. And you know, you know, the other thing too is guys emerge. And I, you know, it just seems like every year somebody else emerges to get into that discussion. A year ago, we're not looking at Zach Wilson or Matt Jones as first round quarterbacks. And so I think that's also something to keep in mind as we look at the next class. Yeah. And, you know, there's always guys that emerge out of nowhere. I know there's some love for Carson Strong from Nevada. He's one name that I definitely wrote down as somebody that a lot of people are expecting to emerge. So uh, similar to Joe Burrow, Zach Wilson, there's always that one player that pretty much expedites their development and ends up turning into a top five selection. And you brought this up, too. Like you take a month off. What's it been like for you throughout this process? Like give people a sample of what your life was like in the months leading up and how badly you need to take that month off. (laughs) Yeah, so June really starts up uh, the the process of doing background checks on players, um, finding out stats about them, making calls to schools, just trying to figure out the person in a sense before I even watch film, just because I like to start every evaluation out with a clean slate. And something different that we did last year is that we actually split up certain parts of the country and we have actually scouting regions this year. So we split it up by conference. I have the SEC, the Big 12, and then also some FCS and then D2 and 3-3 schools. So I have a lot of schools in my area. So June really consists of making phone calls. Um, We get a prospect sheet of over like 2,000 prospects that are expected to be draft eligible. So just trying to figure out information. And then you get to the film process of evaluating prospects. And then you get a preliminary scouting report, which isn't super in-depth. You're just touching on some things you like and then uh, some plus and minuses of what you see from them. And what's what's leading up to the draft? What is it like for you? What are the days like for you um, at that point? Yeah, once again, you know, just um, calling around just to see who people like, who people dislike, maybe trying to figure out um, some some players that they have atop their, their draft board that they like. Um, scouts are also trying to figure out tendencies of other teams, maybe trying to pick our brains of some things that we have heard as well. So the lead up to the draft is always fun. Like I said, it's always like a kid kind of waiting on Christmas to get here. It just takes forever and ever. But once it gets here, it, it goes away in the snap of a finger. And I can't believe we're already, already a week out 
uh, from the draft happening. Yeah. It seems like it just happened here uh, a week or so ago. So uh, it's always fun with the process leading up to it. But once again, the draft is a 365 job for me, and it's very fun. So how many times would scouts pick your brain on a guy? A lot. You know, we'll bounce back ideas back and forth. Maybe they'll talk about some guys that they have heard. Um, they'll ask if I have heard some things about a guy. And then also I'll bring up some names to them that may that they may not have heard before. So Jamin Davis was another great example of somebody that a lot of people were really late on just because if you think about it last year, nobody really knew his name just because he had right. never started before. So that's always the fun thing about the scouting process, just because there's always prospects that come about out of nowhere. And I'm sure there'll be there'll be somebody like that that ends up going first round in 2022. Davis was a guy that some people thought might go in the second round. And do, would you like what were you hearing from others leading up to the first round about where, you know, where were people trying to hope that he would fall or what was the what were the conversations like about him? So interestingly enough, I think you DM'd me like that Monday or Tuesday yeah. before the draft. And we actually talked about Jamin Davis. And I told you, like, Washington is really high on him just because Ron loves kids that have a military background for right. obvious reasons, uh, the discipline, the structure that they entail and things of that nature. So he's always gravitated towards players of that stature. And, you know, the things that I heard about Jamin, glowing reviews about him, uh, a supreme leader, a player that's, you know, first in, first, last out of the building. Um, I've heard great things about him as far as from the pro day. He shocked a lot of people when he came in. He ran, uh, I think it was 4-4-1 at his pro day at six foot three and a half, two hundred and nearly 40 pounds. So anytime a player like that runs that fast at his pro day, it's very rare that they get out of the first round just because, Whenever you have those types of traits, and then even though he was a one-year starter, a lot of people are going to think that his best football is ahead of him. So I think Jamin, like you're going to see a lot of people throw a lot of cash as far as him being defensive rookie of the year, just because I think he's in an ideal situation of where he definitely can live up to that bill. And then last thing, Jordan, when you look at Washington's front office with Martin in charge, GM, Marty Herney, and then Ron, how do you how do you gauge us? Like when you deal with a lot of teams and you're dealing you're seeing a lot of front offices in the structure how do you look at this setup here compared to others and how it went well it's all about comfort especially when you're talking about front offices ron rivera has bought in a lot of guys that worked with him uh, with the carolina panthers so i think they have a really nice chemistry of what's going on right now you can see that the scouts and the personnel people and the coaching staff were really on the same page in some areas that they needed to address you harped on this a little bit earlier as far as them not forcing a quarterback selection and I thought they did a really good job of that especially staying at 19 there weren't any quarterbacks worthy uh, on the board and I know Mac Jones was there for them at 15 but I just don't think they saw him as an upgrade over Fitzpatrick even though the financial ramifications uh, were much better uh, as far as the financial situation of Matt coming in but I thought they did a really good job of um, addressing some of the needs that they have with Curtis Samuel I thought he was a really good addition but once again it goes back to familiarity with Ron and when he was in Carolina, he has a lot of intel on Samuel. And then Mayhew, a player, or excuse me, a, a personnel person that's very proven in the league as far as his time in Detroit, I believe it was. He had a lot of success when he was there. So I think they're doing a really good job of staying on the same page with the personnel and then also the coaching staff as well. Can you tell when they're not, like, can you tell when teams, when you're, when they're drafting, it's like they don't seem like they're on the same page? Yeah, the Las Vegas Raiders are an example <laughs> yeah. of that of where. <laughs> they just, um, you know, Mayock and Gruden are really interesting just because you can tell there's a lot of mixed opinions on that. And Mayock has his philosophies and Gruden has his philosophies as well. And, you know, the Leatherwood pick wasn't really surprising to me just because Mayock puts a lot of 
an emphasis on seniors uh, that come from big programs. And you saw that with Leatherwood. You've seen it in years past with Jonathan Abram um, and then some of the other players that they have selected in the first round in years past. But um, you could tell when a lot of people's drafts are all over the place. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles, I don't know if you saw the video of that, of their personnel people kind of yes. having a disagreement about that. But I thought they had a good draft overall. But just little sneak peeks like that. Those are things that happen in a draft room. And then when teams' drafts are all over the place, you can it's really easy to tell. Jordan, tell people where they can find you and read your work. So you can find me at thedraftnetwork.com. All of my work is posted there. You can also find me on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed. That's J-O-R-D-A-N underscore R-E-I-D. I also have a podcast called the Read Option Podcast. That's R-E-I-D. So you can check that out on any type of podcast platform. Always appreciate your insight. Thank you very much for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks as always, John. Anytime. Thanks, man. This show can be found on Podcast DC, the new local app with hundreds of options in local news, health, and of course, of the DMV region. Download the Podcast DC app to hear all the Empire shows, as well as the other great content. Hey, this is Joel Corey from Inside the Cap. I know you're enjoying the John Kahn Report, which gives you insider access to the Washington football team. Everything you want you want to know, which is going on with the Washington football team. Once you're done with that, check out my podcast, Inside the Cap, which gives you the ins and outs of the NFL salary cap and player contract negotiations. Check out these two products and other fine podcasts from Empire Media. That's it for this episode. I appreciate Jordan joining me. And as always, thank you for listening. The podcast continues to grow and I'm deeply appreciative of those of you who have helped it do so. I'll be back with another episode Tuesday talking about receiver Deami Brown with UMC wide receiver coach Lonnie Galloway. Talk to you next time.